were in Texas. Yes. And then you were in D.C. Yes. And now you're here. Yes, we took the train in from D.C. this morning. And you're uh, here for how long? Uh, going out tomorrow, going to Chicago, oh. and um, we have events in Chicago, and then going all the way back to the West Coast uh-huh. for Emerald City in Seattle. So crazy tour. Is this is this normal for you? <laughs> no, okay. no, I've never done this before. Uh, it's my first tour. It's you know like w- normally when I have a a, a new book out, yeah. um, I, I'm I maybe get like four events over the course of the con season and I get to go to like one con a month or something like that. How uh, is this possible that this is your first tour? How many books have you put out? 11 or <laughs> this will be my 11th book. So what it, what is what's the difference this time out? Um that's a good question. Yeah. I I I feel like this is uh maybe a different kind of book from the okay. one that I've done before. It's it's middle grade. Um it's the first of a trilogy. So yeah. for second is really pushing it which is amazing um yeah all of this is new like you know when they when they bought the book it wasn't like you know we are going to send this book out in the world you will be on tour and all of that stuff uh this was something they just told me about when the book was finished and they're like yeah we're going to send you on tour and send you across the u.s (laughs) i mean it you know must have it must have felt different i I mean especially sitting down and committing yourself to three books from the from the outset yeah it was really different um you know up until this point i actually have done uh a graphic novel series before, mm-hmm. um, but it was with a Canadian publisher publisher called Kids Can Press. Um, it's a series, a young reader series called Bigfoot Boy, and it was written by Jay Torres, who's you know very yeah. prolific comic book writer who's written just a ton of stuff. Um, but that series was you know for kids ages like five to ten, and uh, the books were fairly short; they were less than a hundred pages. Uh, Nameless City is you know, complex, mm-hmm. and it is both written and drawn by me. Uh, it requires a lot of research. Um, the artwork is very complex and very time-consuming, and each book is about uh, 230 to 240 pages long. I Yeah, I, I was I was, I was was reading a, a an interview you had done around it before, and I thought it was really funny that your big, um, like, your big decision-making process was that you didn't want to draw lockers anymore, <laughs> yeah. but now you're like, I'm, I'm, like, looking at the pages of this book, yeah. and I just can't even imagine. No, I know. Uh, my editor, Callista, makes fun of me for that. Um, basically, you know, people ask me, or the question that I've been asked a lot on yeah. this tour is, you know, why why this particular story? You know, why did you want to do... A fair question. A, you know, a fantasy inspired yeah. by, uh, you know, China in the Middle Ages. Um that and is honestly, a very specific. It is very specific, um, and honestly, I I wanted the challenge of it. You yeah. know, I, I'm I'm an artist who wants to grow and who wants to develop her craft. And um, I had done two high school books, so contemporary sure. books set in uh, contemporary high school settings, back to back. I'd done Friends with Boys, uh, which came out in 2012, mm-hmm. and then Nothing Can Possibly Go Wrong, which came out in 2013. Um, and I was just sick of drawing school lockers, you know. So, so like you, you, you like you're, you know, you're like racing to the finish line, and yeah. you're done, and you're like, this is it. I this is out of my life right now. I need to move on to the next thing. Is that? I mean, it's it's not like I won't go back to contemporary YA. Yeah. You know, I I have a lot of fondness for that genre. I maybe I will go back to it after I'm done Nameless City, and I'm like, no more fantasy. It de- I mean, it, de- it definitely <laughs> seems like from from project to project, like you've gone out of your way to do things as different as possible at least yeah. like, thematically and visually yeah i mean i i try to it's like i like you know there's certain things that i like to draw you know yeah. I, I couldn't imagine myself doing like i don't know a graphic novel series where there was a lot of cars you know because it's like i don't i don't necessarily enjoy drawing machinery um yeah. but 
I like challenging myself and, you know, I, I enjoy the variety of different kinds of work. So, and I've been fortunate that I've been able to be hired on different types of projects. It's funny. And I, I don't think it's something that the people who don't draw really necessarily take into account, you know, especially the relative monotony of being a cartoonist. Yeah, but, it can be very monotonous. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but I, you know, I'd spoken with, with uh, Jaime Hernandez a, a few years ago yeah. and, and he said something that really stuck with me. It's, in a way, it's the complete opposite of what you said, but well, he, you know, he said basically like, base your stories around something that you do want want to draw something yes. that you can see yourself drawing over and over for him it was cars mm-hmm. which is clearly not yeah, your thing and he's but, great at drawing cars but, but i like that <laughs> like i you know I, I i like i like that sort of being the the, the first kernel for you figuring out like what you're going to do um were you just reading a lot around the the time period and the subject matter? Um, yeah, that actually came together kind of organically, um, or developed. My interest developed in, in parallel with this with this mm. fantasy story that I was developing. So, you know, I I had just I picked up a couple of books on uh, the Silk Road. I was reading a biography of Kublai Khan that I found yeah. very interesting. Um, you know, I found the 13th century, especially in the, the Yuan Dynasty of of 13th century China, to be a very interesting time period and I it was just something that I was reading about and while I was working on you know like the very beginning of Nameless City and you know like it was just initially Nameless City was just this very basic idea I had of the story idea about these two kids and I, I just wanted something fun to develop on the weekends yeah. and in the evenings uh, but, while, but there was some some sense of like a broad historic backdrop yeah, yeah yeah but I wasn't sure what it was and then you know like I started getting interested in this time period and I was like well let's fit these two together you know let's let's let this time period influence this fantasy story I've hmm. been developing um, and I, I feel like it really my research really helped ground the story and give it a sense of authenticity so the, the thing that comes first is just that kind of very basic human interaction yeah. between the two characters. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, every author has their strengths and weaknesses. Sure. And for me, I, the thing that I'm most interested in is character. You know, I uh, when I first started developing Nameless City, it was like, well, because it's quote-unquote fantasy, I, I clearly must have some kind of magical system in there. But it's like... <laughs> I'm. I enjoy you know other stories that have that in them, but I, I'm not necessarily interested in developing that myself. So you know, at first it was like there was this weak kind of weird magical system having to do with the city and the stone that it was built on, and then it was like I'm just more interested in the characters, yeah. you know, and I want to spend more time with them. And the more time I spend on this magical system, that's less time on the characters. So I just threw out the magical system and was like, let's just make it all about these characters. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a it's a good place to start, though. I mean, you yeah, know, it's it, you, you can certainly when 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 you're just dealing with these kind of very basic human ideas, you can pretty much apply that to anything. Yeah, absolutely. So you're able to just sort of connect these two things that you were interested in at the time. Um, you know, did you feel like I, I always, I always, you know, it always seems to me like if you're going to sit down and write uh, a fantasy book, especially if you're going to expand it into a, a trilogy or beyond that, that you have to kind of like lay the groundwork for this world. Were, were, were you sitting down like prior to the book and really like doing doing all of that mapping? Um, in terms of like developing the visual look of the world, yeah, or, or yeah, or or just sort of the rules and and all these all these different factors. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I had a, a a word document and I would just yeah. sit there and type in you know my ideas, both um, things that I would come up with, things that you know were inspired by research, and to be honest, about zero point. 
zero like five percent of that word document actually made it into the final story um but i feel like it was important because it's like i figured out the rules of the world before i started you know really sitting down to write the script and develop the characters um and it gave that world structure and a foundation um but yeah i i just felt like i i didn't I feel I felt like it was important not to have scenes where characters just sort of stand there and like exposition at each other and yeah. they're like then we did this and this is the history of this place because it's like that's really boring to read about right um, so I just tried to have these two characters uh, you know these the two main kids in this world and then through their interactions and through their discoveries and their character arcs kind of develop the world around them. And I, I mean, hopefully I was successful. Um, so far people seem to re- be responding to the book pretty well. Were, were you always a big history buff? Absolutely not. I'm glad you said that because like I was, I was, I exactly was a terrible history. Way. I was a terrible history student in school. I was exactly um, the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Like and then it like just, the last like five, 10 years yeah. I started reading all these like World yeah. War II books, like an old man. History is fascinating. Um, and it's fascinating to, you know, look at, go beyond your own culture and to, you know, seek out the, you know, other people's yeah. cultures and, and try and, um, you know, approach them with humbleness and respect and try and understand where they're coming from. Um, but yeah, like I was, I was a terrible history student when I was in school. It's just, it's like, if you're trying to learn things in school, like, I don't know, you're being, you're being forced to learn it, of course. Yeah. Right. So learning things on your own is to me so much more fun. I'm always, yeah. But I, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot cause yeah, I've been like really obsessed with, you know, certain periods, particularly like, like American British history. And I've been reading like a, a lot of nonfiction around it. And I've been, I've been trying to like wrap my brain around what it was that made it so unappealing the first time around yeah. and like, yeah. and, and, and what it is that, that ends up like eventually like bringing us back to it. And I think it's, yeah. I think it's a, that sort of thing where you pull one thread and then you kind of follow it from there. So what, what led you down specifically into that time period? I mean, I was interested in... So the Yuan Dynasty is uh, a Mongol dynasty mm-hmm. where uh, China is has been conquered by Genghis Khan yeah. and a grandson of Genghis Khan, Kublai Khan, is ruling over China. But he is also ruling under the mandate of heaven. So this is a dynasty that is considered an official Chinese dynasty. And that was very interested, yeah. interesting to me because um, the Mongols were not well regarded by yeah. Chinese people and yet they all of China was ruled over them for, for this this period of nearly 100 years. Um, And the dynasty outlived Kublai Khan as well. Um, So that was very interesting to me. And I I liked the idea of having this city um, where all these different cultures came together and uh, under the banner of making a living. So, you know, this was where my interest in the Silk Road came Mm -hmm. came from. Um, I like the idea of, you know, all these different cultures working side by side, people who might might hate each other, you know, if they met on the road, but they're trying to make a living, so they're forced to work together. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is interesting. I mean, we tend to sort of think of, like, from the outside of China, it's just being kind of one, like, monolithic yeah. culture, but there was a, there were there were a lot of different things going on yeah. and a lot, of, yeah. a lot of different conquering armies. and Yeah, and also, like, um, the incredible depth of the history there, yeah. you know? I mean, I'm Canadian, um, and Canada's... I, I mean... <laughs> Obviously, we have, you know, the history of First Nations and uh, Inuit people. But, you know, like our modern, I guess, Imperial British history Mm -hmm. only goes back a a few hundred years. So it was very interesting to look at at look at this this historic the the history of this culture in this country that went back thousands of years to 
yeah, in hundreds of dynasties. And then there, there, there's that sort of that very basic idea of kind of, you know, like almost like Shakespearean idea of like star cross, right? Right. Like two yeah. sort of like warring, yes. that warring factions. It, it just fit in pretty nicely. Yeah. And, and that was the real appeal of the story. Um, I love opposite side friendships, mm-hmm. you know, and that was, that is to me the backbone of the story. It's the relationship between these two kids. Um, they both live in the city, you know, they're both, um, stuck there, kind yeah. of uh, thrown together, and one is a member. Uh, the boy Kai, he is a member of the ruling elite, and Rat, the girl, is someone who has suffered under the rule of Kai's people. So, you know, I, I wanted their relationship to be combative. I guess you know, I, I didn't want to make it be easy between them. Uh, it was important to me to show the good and bad of their relationship rather than just bringing these two kids together and magically they're friends and, you know, they forget the complicated nature of, 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 uh, their, their history. When I was, re- when I was reading that quote, when you were talking about the, um, about the locker thing, I was like, Oh, does this mean that she's going to do like a book for adults now? But it's, <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, and I'm always curious about this. I'm always curious, um, about what, what sort of like, I don't know. If, I don't know how to phrase this exactly, but kind of like what draws you to, to a certain audience, or, or what it is, you know, what you feel it is about your writing that like makes <laughs> someone's having a good time. <laughs> um, but, but but sort of you know what 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 kind of keeps bringing you back uh, you know across a lot of this work to a, a younger audience. Um, good question. I don't yeah. know. Okay. <laughs> That's my short answer. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, like predominantly my books have been YA or middle grade, um, except for maybe, uh, The Last of Us, yeah. which was a video game co- yeah, yeah, yeah. or the prequel to the video game, The Last of Us. Uh, but which that was, was, and that was you working with a Yes, a it was writer, me working yeah. with the, the video game, the games writer, Neil yeah. Druckmann. Um, but even that had elements of YA in it because it was about uh, a teenage girl character from the game mm-hmm. and her life before the events of the game. So it was like, yeah. even though it had like, you know, horrible violence and, swe- <laughs> sure. and swear words in it that made it like an 18 plus book, yeah. it was still about teenage girls, yeah. right? So I, I don't necessarily, I, I don't, I don't have like a good answer for why I like writing YA or middle grade. Um, I, I mean, I, I feel like, uh, I feel like that, that question was asked when I was sitting on a panel with Gene Yang and yeah. he was like, maybe it's just, you know, my natural prudishness, you know, sure. that I enjoy writing for these younger yeah, and he, and he I, But I know like, I know he works with kids, right? He's yeah, around kids yeah, all the time. True. It, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I, sense. and I don't, you know, like yeah. I, I don't have children myself and I've, I've never um, oh, when I was when I was in college, I did uh, support work with kids who were developmentally delayed. Yeah. Um, but that was really only my experience of working with kids. Um, I yeah, like I I just enjoy I enjoy st- writing and drawing stories for a younger audience than adults. Like I don't know, I, I wasn't always like this. You know, like I, I remember being in my early twenties and wanting to do like dark, gritty comics sure. and that yeah, sort of I think thing. Just being in your early twenties, yeah, though, and being right? angry I mean, and yeah. being like right out of school and being poor and having a lot of student <laughs> loans and, and all that stuff. But I don't know. I mean, it's. I guess I look for projects that I feel like I will enjoy as a writer and artist, yeah. and this is just what I enjoy. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, like to, I, I guess, sort of extend a, a theory. Um, and I, I heard you talk about this about, about sort of a sense of. Um, I don't know if jealousy is the right word, but I don't know. Maybe it is of that, like of you know, of kids. You know, we're we're in the first second office, and I'm looking at like you know the Jillian Tamaki book. Yes. And, um, Aaron Rayner's like you know all the all these like great first second books, and it's and I and I understand that sense of if jealousy is the right word of like that all like these books that we didn't 
necessarily have yes. when we were that age. Yeah. And this is and and you're kind of getting an opportunity to to be that for somebody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Nameless City is 100% the comic that I wanted when I was 12. Yeah. Um and to get the opportunity to make that comic is, you know, like oh my god, <laughs> you know, yeah. like how awesome is that? Um yeah, yeah, like that's I I don't know if that's a a conscious motivating sure. factor, but it's definitely something that I think about, you know, um when I was a kid, I was uh, very drawn to comics, and you know, like I read Tintin and Asterix growing up. Being Canadian, it's mm-hmm. like um, I that, that, the French connection. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, because we were a bilingual yeah. nation. There's Tintin and Asterix yeah. everywhere in Canada. Um, I feel like now they're becoming more popular in the states. Uh, yeah, yep. but uh, back when I was a kid, they weren't popular in the states. Uh, but anyway, so I was super into Tintin and Asterix, and I would read newspaper comics mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But it felt like when um, I grew up a little and you know became a teenager and kind of outgrew those those early comics there was nothing for me to read you know like being a teenager in the 90s and then you know a young adult in the aughts and it was like i was so desperate for comics and you know like desperate to see comics about like girls and girls my age and you know experiencing adventures and stories that weren't like um i don't know I, like I, I look at like Linda Berry's work, and mm-hmm. it's like I appreciate her now as an adult, um, but I don't think I would have enjoyed her as like a teen or uh, in my early twenties. Like I remember finding yeah, or Julie Doucet. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, and I feel like that was those were sort of the prominent cartoonists who were women yeah. and who made work for women back during those times. But it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to read as like you know a sixteen year old comic book reader. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, the nineties was. I mean, it was. It was what it was X Men and yeah, yeah, and I read X Men. Yeah. You know, like they were kind of terrible, but I I enjoyed them. You know, and and I read them, and sure, why not? I mean, <laughs> well, and, but you know, but you you did you know, and you you did give yourself the opportunity to work on a superhero book in a in a sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, 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 what was that? A, was that like kind of a very deliberate chance to just sort of do it in your own voice? Um, kind of. Uh, so. When I did The Adventures of Superhero Girl, uh, basically, um, it came about in this very, like, weird happenstance way. Yeah, it always uh, does. Yeah, always. Yeah. Yeah, every job that I have is, came about in a weird way. So, just, just generally. It's like the story, <laughs> though. The story is always like, oh, well, I didn't, I needed to make rent that week. Or, yeah, yeah I mean, like, that, always, that was yeah. literally my story. Um, because, uh, so, at the time that I was doing it, I was extremely poor, and uh, I was living in Halifax, Nova mm-hmm. Scotia at the time. And uh, they had a free weekly newspaper there called The Coast. And The Coast basically needed a comic strip to put above the phone sex ads at the back oh, of the paper. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, just to fill up some space, just yeah. to a comic strip. And they were like, we will pay you $45 to draw a comic strip. And they did not care about content as long as I handed it in and there was, like, something drawn on this thing. I love know? this little bit of, like, shady history, too. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. It's super shady. It's super shady. Sex um, ads. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Weekly. Like, it was totally above, like, you yeah. know, yeah, like, call this number and talk yeah. to so-and-so. Um so I did that for like two years yeah. and, you know, I needed that $45 a week and I would spend like an entire day on that comic. So it ended up being like $2 an hour, right, that I would make on this. But I needed that $45. You would have made a lot more doing phone sex. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then I put the, and like, I just kind of did it in a void. It's like nobody really told yeah. me they enjoyed it or anything because it was like, it was published in a, in a, com- in, in a newspaper, sorry. Um, so it's like, you don't really get reader response from that was that was that after you started doing the webcomic 
Uh, no, it was before. Okay. And then I published it online and started updating it and uh, posting it online. And but, dark- wait, but you were doing web comics prior to. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, web comics yeah. were basically how I got my start yeah, and how okay. I learned how to draw comics. Um, but then I posted the Adventures of Superhero Girl online, and Dark Horse eventually approached me and did like this beautiful hardcover yeah. collection of it and had it colored and everything, and it won an Eisner. So like that was just the the weird, crazy story of this comic strip. But um, it actually came about because um, the owner of a comic book store in um, Nova, or sorry, in Halifax called Strange Adventures, uh-huh. a guy named Cal Johnson. He basically said to me, he's like, you draw, you write and draw good stories about teenage girls. You should do like a teen girl superhero comic. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I will make this comic strip. I will make $45 a week and I will do it about like a young adult superhero girl and just have it be about her crappy life and her struggles as a young adult and have like wacky superhero stuff and ninjas and now I have an Eisner. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, but but that but that's like that. You know, it's it's sort of the perfect example of. It sounds like the perfect example of you starting with you know again these like very real real life concerns and then overlaying it onto this uh, like like a like a bit of fantasy and that's yeah. that's why that's why it worked out. I mean, they weren't necessarily yeah. superhero concerns. She was just having to deal with all of yeah. her like, daily life. I mean, life. I think of it as it's like it's basically about a young person who loves something, who loves mm. doing something. So, you know, whatever it is, that thing that you love, you know, do you love art? Do you yeah. love cooking or whatever it is? And phone she's just, sex. yeah, sure. Phone sure. sex. If you're really good at phone sex. Huh. Um, and it's just basically like trying to turn that into a career and turn that into something valid in your life. Right. To, to make this thing that you love into yeah, like a valid way to make a living. In and no way paralleling your own life at in all. In no way whatsoever. Completely created in a vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's basically where that came from. Um, and it's like, it's kind of my take on like Supergirl, you know, yeah. like DC's Supergirl character. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's just like my my goofy take on superheroes. So so where, where were you at that point as far as, um, you know, like potential career paths i mean when when you started working on that thing when you're working on you didn't know if anybody's reading it and it was the the placement was kind of questionable i mean was it was it already clear at that point that you wanted to do comics for a living uh yeah at that time so i drew it from 2010 until 2012 Mm -hmm. um and i went full-time god that wasn't that long ago (laughs) it was like six (laughs) i know it's just funny though yeah i know i know it feels so long ago i mean you've like Um, you've done so much stuff in the yeah, meantime it's yeah. crazy uh yeah i've been really fortunate um so at that time i was uh i'd gone full-time as a cartoonist in 2008 mm-hmm. and the first couple of years of being a freelance cartoonist was super scary yeah and, you know like barely making rent and just you know like is this something that's viable for me as a career i basically left my career in animation to do comics full-time um so um Let's see, two, let's see, 2010. Yeah, so I while I was doing Superhero Girl, I was writing and drawing Friends with Boys, which uh, first second published in 2012, mm-hmm. um, which was fantastic. Like, that was my first kind of major book. You know, I'd had, um, let's see, I'd had uh, Zombies Calling and The Word Elsmere published by SLG Publishing. And I'd drawn this book, Brain Camp, that was written by someone else for first second. And then um, Friends with Boys would be, like, my first you know, first graphic novel from, you know, a 
prominent yeah. publisher with like marketing power. You, you had a contract at that point, or you... I was drawing it. So okay. yeah, I drew Friends with Boys in 2010. So yeah, yeah I had a I had an advance. You know, okay. I had a contract. I had all that stuff. So I was definitely like working full time in comics. But at the same time, it was like I'd only been doing it for a couple years. I didn't really, I wasn't established. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any kind of sales record. You know, like my SLG books came out and sold like 2,000 copies and that kind of thing. So, and I barely made any money off of them. So, I didn't know if comics was something that I could continue to do, but I just, you know, I just kept at it. And now it's like six years later. Yeah. And <laughs> it's and pretty great. 11, I'm still and, and 11 here. 11 books later. Yeah. Yeah. More yeah, yeah. So, so what, what happened? Uh, so, animation was kind of your first love or your first like thought your first shot at a career yeah um i went to college for animation um i graduated in 2004 and worked in animation for four years until mm -hmm. 2008 and then the economy collapsed mm. and uh canada's uh animation industry is very entwined when the, with the u.s's animation industry yeah. so if there's no work in the u.s there's no work in canada i thought it was very um doesn't doesn't the government prop up a lot of the the animation industry in canada um there is government assistance and yeah. grants i'm not really sure how the system works okay. you know i've never run a studio myself i just i always um, feel like i see like a little like like you know canadian government logo at the end of a lot of the animation. oh yeah right yeah there. like there's definitely yeah. there's definitely a grant system there's definitely tax breaks and you know assistance but um at the same time the majority of the work done in canada is service work on u.s productions mm -hmm. so if the u.s is not producing then there's a lot of layoffs yeah. right um so that's you know that was basically what happened to me i lost my and job you were, you were pretty far down the ladder at that point. oh yeah absolutely yeah. i was nobody you know i was like an animator and i did background painting and i worked at this not too great studio in yeah. Halifax and I mean it was fine you know it was I was kind of struggling I, I didn't really enjoy the work as much as I felt I should and I wasn't really able to find my my niche within the industry and then excuse me and then you know I, I basically got this contract to draw this book brain camp with first second and that was uh, my very first year being a freelance mm -hmm. a full-time freelance artist and I was like well I have this money for this book yeah. and I will draw this book and live on this money and when the money runs out I'll make a decision about whether or not I'm going back to animation and that was eight years ago <laughs> I mean I hate to say it but, but animation like unless you're on the upper level kind of sounds like a miserable thing right I mean it just um, it depends on who you are and what your skills, skills sure. are to be honest uh, my boyfriend is an animator he's very talented very skilled um, and he's able to make it work you know yeah. he has the personality for it um he's a good team player he's someone who um enjoys the art right and when i was in animation i didn't really enjoy the art in enough to like suffer for it right yeah so yeah so now you know we live in vancouver he works in animation and i work full-time in comics but it's i mean it's it's such a it's such a different world you know of of feeling like you're in a sense and this is most jobs feeling like you're kind of like a cog in this larger yeah. project. You know, it's somebody else's vision and, yeah. and there are, you know, other people on top versus like wh what a change that must be to be like a low level animator to all of a sudden just be even if you're drawing somebody else's story, like to just be making all those decisions. Yeah. And I mean, that's something to me that is very appealing about comics. Yeah. Uh, I love the fact that it's potentially all me on the page, you know, like Nameless City. This is my story. This is my art. And if people like it and it really resonates with people, 
that's great, you know, <laughs> and that is credit to me. And if people don't like it and it doesn't resonate, then that's my fault, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, animation, it's like you can see yourself as a cog, and I definitely did. Um, but another way to see it is I'm part of a team, you know, and I am creating this thing that is larger than myself, and I'm a collaborator. Um, and that can be a real strength of animation if you are part of a good team, mm-hmm. right? Um, unfortunately, my during my brief career, I never had the opportunity to work at a studio where I felt like I was artistically engaged with uh, my coworkers. So, at, at what point did you did you start doing the the web comic initially? And you just kind of you just, you just sort of jumped straight into it and started yeah, putting your stuff out in the world. Totally did. I yeah. mean, <laughs> started. Oh man. Okay. So. <laughs> I did, I spent yesterday doing school visits and, you know, like I have a little presentation that I do and I talk about how I got started doing comics and it's like, I'm standing in front of these kids and I'm like, I started doing web comics in 1999, back (laughs) in the dark ages of the internet. And it was like, you guys probably weren't even born back then. Yeah. (laughs) So I felt super old. Um, But yeah, so I got online very into the nineties, early aughts and was like, I have free web space through my parents' web hosting, you know, company and, or not web hosting, but, uh, internet, uh, provider, yeah, right? Yeah. I get 20, 20 megs on, on this server <laughs> and I can set up, you know, my own little website and I it was like anything I want. Exactly. Yeah. And that was exactly what it was like doing web comics during those early days. It was like, you build this crappy little HTML site and you post your pages up manually and, um, just by doing the work and my comics were terrible at the beginning don't get me wrong I didn't really know how to Mm -hmm. draw I didn't have a lot of experience reading comics so as a result I didn't really know how comics were made Um, I was just like diving in there and messing around Um, but it was like nobody could tell me no right like I wasn't looking to be published I wasn't looking to be a professional I was just I had this story that I wanted to tell and then by the time I was finished my first webcomic it was like 750 pages long and it was five years later (laughs) yeah that was something and I fell in love with the medium that way I just I never when I first started doing it it was like my art is terrible yeah I will never be a professional maybe I can go to animation school and learn how to draw and learn how to be an animator and that can be my career. I never thought I would be doing comics professionally. Was it, were there benefits to not, not having any kind of, I mean, obviously now there are a lot more ways and places to, to get a formal training. I mean, was it, do you think it was ultimately to your benefit that you just sort of went out there and had no idea what you're doing that you were flailing around for a little bit yeah absolutely because it was like i didn't know that i sucked yeah you know and it was like i was just doing it for fun yeah right and i mean i don't think the internet was like a kinder place back in the early aughts but it's like there were less people online so there's less people to tell you that you suck right mm-hmm. you know like now it's like there's so many people online and there's so many amazing looking web comics that like fully colored professional looking web comics that update like four times a week right and it's hard to find an audience if you're not like at that level right but back when i was doing it it was like nobody was doing web comics right like there was like three people you know and one of them was like the penny arcade guys yeah. right <laughs> um and i just i just started doing the comics and I updated regularly and built a readership literally just because of that because I, I updated I'm just I'm just impressed though that you like you're like this is that this was the first thing that you yeah. kind of really did and that you wanted people to see it I just got hooked on it to yeah. be honest like honestly I just like I, I mean the, the cool thing about web comics is you know 
you gain a readership and it's like these people care, right? You know, they're engaged with the yeah. story. They're interested in seeing what happens next. And it's like, that can be very addicting, right? Well, well there's that element. And, and that's something that comes once you've been doing it for a while. Yes. But, but again, just sort of the, this idea of, you know, I, 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 I definitely don't operate on that level and if you know i i would like i would want to just like sort of sit in my room and make stuff for a long time and not have anybody look at it until i felt like i was able to actually do something but you yeah i i can't explain it to be yeah. honest um i i yeah no i i i understand that that uh yeah that tendency right to to like wait and work on your stuff and try and only show it to people when it's when it's perfect and you feel comfortable with it but right? but that's not how you get to 11 books in the last yeah you know, exactly five years. and i mean you yeah. know like not to say that i'm critical not to say that i'm not critical of my work like i look back on any book that i've drawn mm-hmm. you know from you know my current book from nameless city from from the book that has come out today yeah. to demonology 101 which was my very first web comic and i am frustrated by my inability to draw things as well as I think they should be drawn, right? So it's it's not to say that I'm not critical, that I look at my work and I'm like, yes, this is awesome. This is 100% amazing. Because I'm not like that at all. But um, for whatever reason, I'm fortunate that I just have the personality where I'm able to just yeah. produce work and send it out there and let it go. Did, did you ever take the step of having any kind of uh, formal training as far as as far as drawing and, and comics go, or did you just you just learn by doing it? Oh, I went to college for animation. Okay, yeah, I went to. And sh- you were able to apply those skills. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, animation training is absolutely great for for learning to do mm-hmm. comics because it's basically like film training, right? Um, although with hardcore drawing, so you learn, you know how to draw backgrounds, how to do perspective. Um, You learn about acting, character acting, which is, I feel like, one of the most underused skills in comics. Like, it's incredibly important to me to be able to convey characters' emotions correctly and in a way that is relatable to the reader. Um, What else do you learn? Oh, uh, life drawing, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So animation training is definitely great for, for doing comics. So, so uh, book one is 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 out. Are, I, I assume that you are into book two at this point. Book two is done. Book two is done. Yeah, okay. I finished it like two weeks ago. Okay, so <laughs> so you're taking a, a, a brief a brief pause before you start really in earnest uh, yeah. launching into book three. Yeah. Uh, do you like, given the amount of uh, details that have to go into every panel, do you at all regret the uh, the subject matter you, you chose? <laughs> are you are you are you are you bored with it? Are you ready to move on to back to lockers yet? I'm not bored with it. No. Um, like as a project, Nameless City has been one of the most like it's been very difficult, yeah. very challenging, but it's also been one of the most satisfying projects I've had to do and or I, I've worked on, mm-hmm. and it's like I I don't quite know know why. I'm so into it. Like I, I I'm totally it's there. Nice. You know? Yeah. Like it's, it's totally a world I'm interested in. The characters are people I'm interested in. Like you think about it while you're not working on it. I do. Yeah. yeah. And like I draw the characters when I'm not working, which is, <laughs> which is strange because yeah. I've never, I've never done that before. So it's a cool experience to be that into a story that you're writing because you know, it's like comics are my job and I sit at a desk like all day, six days a week and Excuse me. And I draw these characters and it's like that can be extremely grueling, you know, and and sometimes it can sour you on the project. But this has been just a really great experience. And, you know, not to say it hasn't been challenging, but yeah, it's it's a book I'm super into. And that's a really thrilling experience. How how do you at at what point do you I mean, you you knew this before you I think before you sold the, the first book. But how do you know that this is 
something that either you you want to spend three books doing or that it's going to take three like a story that's going to take three books to tell oh i definitely have a beginning middle and end to yeah. the story um so there's definitely an, an end point a planned end point um after that it's like i don't know like maybe in the future i might be able to do like the avatar legend of Korra thing where you know sure. different stories different characters same world i don't know yeah or, but, or bone boneville kind yeah, of yeah yeah exactly yeah. um but this is definitely a three volume series with a definite endpoint characters have certain arcs that uh i have planned out for them i, I guess the question is like how, how how did you know that that early on that this was something that you were going to commit to for three books you know um well, it was what I pitched. Yeah. You know, it just felt it was, like it was a story that needed to be told. In yeah, books. absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I, I have to credit my agent for um, for believing in this series. Um, so my agent, her name is Bernadette uh, Baker Bogman. And it's a we've, good name. Yeah, it's great. Uh, B3. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've been working together since 2008. And I remember like na- selling Nameless City to First Second was a very long process because it was I wanted it to be a trilogy. Um, and, you know, to sell a multiple yeah. book project is a challenge, right? So I remember there was a point where I'd always seen this as three books. It wasn't one book. It wasn't two. It had, you know, it had, like, I guess the Star Wars arc. It's trilogy. just satisfying. Yeah, it's just the, satisfying, the satisfying three story arc. Three, yeah. yeah, three three story arc, yeah. you know, Lord of the Rings, that stuff, that kind of thing. Um, and I remember at one point, kind of looked like the, the series wasn't going to sell you know like for a second was um a little bit reluctant uh it's it's hard without knowing how the first hard. book does yeah whether or not you're going to want it is very hard too. and yeah. you know like I, I don't blame them for yeah. you know for being cautious um but you know i remember saying to her should we try and just sell them on one book and then we'll see what happens and she's mm-hmm. like no you know your story it's three books we're going to sell three books and we did to her credit she totally went in there and worked really hard and Callista really supported me and it's three books. So it was something I'd always thought of from the beginning. And it's like, I, I wanted the experience of spending more time with characters, you know, like seeing them develop and seeing them grow on the page. Cause it's like, it seems strange to say, but 230 pages isn't a long time, <laughs> you know, like, that's that's what a year a year of your life oh but it's like no it, yeah like it totally is right? yeah it, it takes me a year to draw that many pages but it's like at the end of 230 pages it's like i feel like i've just gotten to know these characters <laughs> and I, I want to continue their story yeah. so it's been it's been really wonderful to be able to continue to develop this world and these characters and see them grow so so it so the world itself expands as the books go as the books move along yes uh you learn more about the history of the Mm -hmm. world um about its mysteries and uh the politics there you go that was faith aaron hicks thank you so much to her for taking the time to do that Uh, apologies to to her actually for a second that one um got a little bit delayed for reasons out of our control but uh glad we finally had a chance to put it up you can check out her latest book on first second it's out uh, as of uh, april nameless city which is which is right around the time that we recorded that interview again i'm sorry that it took so long to come out uh thanks to her and thanks to gina at first second for setting that one up thanks to brian as always for editing the show together thanks to you guys for listening to the program if you liked what you heard there are a couple of ways to support the show the easiest one is to just go to itunes and uh and rate us over there it's been a little while since we've got to rating so we'd appreciate that very much or wherever it is that you get your podcasts uh also if you're a regular listener to the program and enjoy it uh please consider 
send in a, a couple bucks our way via via Patreon. That's uh, that will help us. It costs money, believe it or not. It costs money to do one of these things to to host it up uh, to pay pay Brian for the great job that he does editing the show together because the show uh, would be. Um, even longer and ramblier than it tends to be if uh, he wasn't around. Uh, so uh, consider doing that. Uh, if you've got any feedback, you can send us a line. It's rewildcast at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Tumblr. That's rewildcast.tumblr.com. Uh, like us on Facebook. I think that's about all I got. Uh, lots and lots of good shows coming up. I know we, uh, I feel bad we missed a couple of weeks in there for. Uh, Practically the first time since we've we've uh, started the show, I can I can count on one hand the number of weeks we've skipped, and unfortunately two of them were in the past month. I was traveling a lot. I was in uh, was in Berlin, was in uh, San Francisco, which is where we got to do that great uh, sit down conversation with Frank uh, Portman. Uh, I'm back in New York City as of right now. Uh, just uh, finished up uh, an interview actually uh, an hour or two ago. John Ginoli from uh, the Pansy Division uh, doing another one tomorrow. So we are uh, we should be back on track. We should be back God willing just about this time next week with another episode of R.A.Y.L. Mm-hmm.